Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that warm welcome. She forgot to mention the best part. I have 10 grandchildren. (laughs) Grandmas unite, right? Except for my kids didn't get the memo that they were supposed to all stay in Temecula. Right? Grandmas in the room? Yeah, I have one on four grandchildren on the East Coast, four up north, and only two have stayed. So um, I would give them special treatment, but I can't because they're, uh, they're all my loves of my life, right? Uh, you know, as I was worshiping, um, loving one another, it sounds at the, as you say it, it sounds so loving, doesn't it? But how many of you, when you hear the term loving one another, you think, man, there's some people I just don't know. I I just don't know about that, right? I'm not alone. And so as I'm worshiping and I'm asking Jesus, Jesus, this can be a hard topic because it is so easy for us to love people that love us, that we love, that we like. But it's another thing to love somebody who has betrayed you, somebody who has um, just done you wrong. I mean, to your core. You know the ones that just to your core. And he whispered in my ear, I loved Judas. And I thought, yes, you did. You gave us a great example of how to love somebody that has betrayed you. And we need to follow that example. So let's pray and ask him to be with us as we go through his word. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your example for us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, Lord, that, that keeps us on the straight and narrow, that gets us on the straight and narrow. And we cannot do this without your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just acknowledge, Lord, would you fill us afresh right now with your Holy Spirit, as you're going to direct each one of us in different ways, give us ears to hear and a spirit to be willing to obey, even when you tell us hard things. So we just pray it in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to want some audience participation here for for a few minutes. and, um, And I was thinking about this. Now, on the scale, and I want you to shout it out, because I heard you out on the courtyard, so I know that you have really loud voices that you can give it to me. So on a scale of 1 to 10, as a society, how, are, how do you think we're doing loving one another? I hear a 2, 3, 1. Someone says 1. It's a rough year for that, isn't it? It's a rough couple years for that. Okay, so what about in the Christian community? How are we doing? Better? Let me hear some numbers. Seven, five. Oh, eight point five. We need those those signs that just go up, right? Eight point five. That's a really good idea. And 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 so you see that we're doing a little bit better than the world with loving one another. Now, how about you personally? You don't have to shout that one out if you don't want to. But just answer that in your heart. How am I doing personally? How do I treat? It means behave towards others. And I, and I was convicted. I thought about how do I treat people on the phone? How do I treat people um, at, at a restaurant? How do I treat people at a sales counter? Um, how do I treat my children? How do I treat my grandchildren? How do I treat my husband? How do I treat you know, people at church? What, what is it? Because I can only change me. 
So what is it that, that Lord, you want to say to me in how I'm treating others? Now that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Luke, speaking the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, he wrote this. And I thought this was interesting. He starts off by saying, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And then we jump down to verse 35 and he says this, Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because, and he gives us the why. He gives us the why here. He said you will be children of the Most High because he is king to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now you all know mercy is like I deserve something and and I'm not going to get it. And that is mercy. Now that sounds really noble. I I wish I could do that. And I shout out, how? Could somebody just tell me how? How am I going to be able to do this? Because it doesn't come naturally. So it's going to require that you and I die to ourselves. And we have scripture that tells us, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you were to ask me personally, I would say God has done so much for me and he has loved me through so many things. I want to learn how to love people that I don't like. I want to learn how to to love people who have hurt me who have betrayed me. Why? Because Jesus has done so much and he has loved me when I've been in that camp of betraying him that it's the way that somebody's going to see Christ through me. Now, many times when you see, you know, a pastor's wife teaching, you might think, oh, you know, did they they just grow up in the church? Like, you know what I'm saying? You, you might have an opinion about somebody who's teaching you like we haven't been through the trenches. When I was, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents were um, immigrants from Europe. My dad was raised in Scotland. My mom was raised in Ireland, so I'm British at heart. And when I grew up, we didn't go to church. And so everything that I knew, and my parents weren't really good at the culture either because they had a, we had a different culture in the home than we did outside the home. And so when I was in seventh grade, and I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. I grew up in Carson, California. Well, I didn't know any different. I just went back for a drive through my old neighborhood, and... And I was so shocked (laughs) at where I had grown up. And all these memories started triggering in my head. I remember my friends and I, when someone got shot down the street and there were chalk lines out on the thing, we would go and we would lay in it, you know, (laughs) and just for fun. So I was like six or seven. I thought these were normal things. Like, didn't everybody grow up in this neighborhood? Like, I just thought it was normal, right? I I passed a gas station, and I remembered walking to school and having the police escort us behind the gas station because there were two people in the intersection with guns on each other. We didn't know any better. We were looking around the corner like, what's going on over there? You know, we just didn't know. So by seventh grade, when marijuana was passed around, I decided that I was going to partake. And so by the time I got into high school, I was using cocaine. 
And at 20, I found myself unwed and pregnant. And so I understand at a street level what it is to struggle with not loving people. I I get it. I understand it. Everything that I learned about how I should behave, what kind of wife I should be, what kind of mom, I didn't learn any of that in the home. Any, anybody else? I didn't learn any of that in the home. I had to learn it from the church, and I had to learn it from God, God's word. And so it requires us to learn how to love like Jesus loves. So I want to illustrate this point about that it doesn't come naturally. I'm going to introduce you on the screen to my grandson, Jetty, who's two, and actually it's his birthday today, so he's three. So Jetty, um, Jetty knows what it's like to be unloving. Check it out. <laughs> At the end, he's so sweet. Yeah, dada, yeah. <laughs> now, Jetty's two. Now, maybe you can identify. You're like, do not mess with my bed, <laughs> right? But Jetty knows what it's like not to be loving, Even though maybe he was right, he didn't have a loving attitude towards his sister. He was very harsh. So Jetty was more concerned with justice than love, but his approach was all wrong. Now, the Bible uses terms like one another, and it's kind of communal language, right? You're in community. We love one another. And you learn to love me, and I learn to love you, but we're in a lab here, right? We're in a church, so we're in this place where community needs to take place, and it, and it can get difficult when we have relationships with each other. So our love for one another, it's not to be based on merit. It's not to be based on, like, I deserve your love, so, I'll, so you'll give it to me. You deserve my love, so I'll give it to you, right? It's not based on that. It's based on the actions of Jesus. It's an, it's a, there's an intentionality to it. And the temptation when we see, hear this is to go right to, okay, what do I need to do? Just tell me how to do it, and I do it. But you and I both know that our belief informs our behavior. So if I can get us to understand the belief, if I can get us to understand what the Bible teaches, then the behavior becomes much more easy, and we know what to expect then. We know what Jesus expects. So, you know, the first question we ask when you say love one another is, okay, well, what is love? There's 150,000 definitions for love, especially in our world. It's it's open for interpretation right now, isn't it? What love is. It can be anything. Love can be anything right now. And the Bible gives us definitions and instructions for love, but the world is the worldly love, it's, it's void of God. It doesn't have anything to do. It's not based in morality. It's not based in goodness. It's simply feeling sort of whatever pleasure you want, and that's called love. But that's not how the Bible describes it. The Bible describes it very different. Now, the world is lost, and the world needs Jesus. And we're supposed to, as the church, show our love for one another, which will help them understand who Jesus is. So what about us believers? Now, we know in the Bible they, that we have four loves for, uh, words for love, and I know that you guys know them because you are well-studied women. Um, they are storge, which is a, like a f- family love, phileo, eros, an erotic love, and agape, the love of, that's unconditional, the love that Christ has for us. Romans 5.8 says, but he dem- God demonstrates his own agape towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that wasn't pleasurable, was it? 
when he died on the cross for our sins, it wasn't pleasurable and it wasn't um, based on his feelings, although he loved us, that he gave his life. First John 4.10 says, In this agape love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins, that he died in our place. Um, MacArthur says this, This ideal kind of love, that which is exercised by the will rather than emotion, not determined by beauty or desirability of an object, but of a noble intention of the one who loves. That means a willing love is not an emotional love. It's planned, predetermined, calculated. Now, we have to think through these things because as people, I will go into a room and I will look for people who are like me, who have like-mindedness like me, who maybe are in the same age group as me. Now, how often does God point someone out that says, I want you to go talk to this person? Or, or we, can, we can become clicky. and we like, we like our group. And so right after we're in it, we want to close it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we don't have this openness that says, okay, we're family you're welcome in to this group. Those things can be very difficult. So loving others, we have to kind of acknowledge up front, it's a little bit of a character issue for us. And, and I'm first in line to raise my hand and say, okay, Lord, you know, how can you change me that my character, which begs the question, who do you love? The bottom line is, it's, is it self or is it God? Because if I can love God in this way, if I can take off my flesh and and let him dwell in me, then I absolutely have the capability to love another person because Christ loved me. And he wanted, he had a plan to do what was right and best. I'll give you some scriptures. You can write them down and you can look them up later. John 15, uh, 12 verses uh, 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. First John 4, 7, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Colossians 3.14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love brings about unity. Love brings about the harmony of God. And 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show it by the truth, by our actions. So that's where we get that statement, right? Love is a verb. We have to show that we love people, and that can be convicting. In John chapter 13, you can turn there if you have your Bibles with you. I want to take a look at a couple of verses, 33 through 35. Now, Jesus is going to give us why, the reason why that loving one another is so vital to pushing the gospel forward, especially in our culture right now. Because the, the definition of love is so messed up in our culture right now that we have to then be an example. More than ever in the church, we have all have to become evangelists. We all have to be ready to share the gospel because in our generation, those of you who are maybe you know, 30, 40 or older, we had a sense of church. 
There was something within us that like a grandma went or an auntie went or my mom and dad went. There was something like if you have trouble, you know that you can turn to the church. That's gone in this next generation. There's, there's, there's not a lot of Gen Zers flooding into the church right now. Um, they Probably it's the exact opposite. So I think we're in, a, in an era, in a season, where we have to learn how to evangelize, how to share the gospel. And that's scary. That, that I know that because I've had to learn to do it myself, but we need to be bold and have relationships with people and be able to show them the love of Christ. In verse 33, he says, Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me. As I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you. And when he says a new commandment, he doesn't mean it's like brand new. He means like this is a, uh, it's not altogether different, but a fresh perspective as he's leaving earth. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he gives the reason why in verse 35. By this, here it is, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the thing that Jesus told us. Like They're going to know that you're a student of mine. They're going to know that you're a child of mine when you guys love one another. Because that is a peculiar thing. When a, when a church of this size, when a church of any size, when they can live in harmony, all different walks of life, all different age groups, all different maturity levels, and you can walk unified and you have a genuine love for one another... That speaks to the world that doesn't know Jesus. Because, and why do they say that? They say, well, you're crazy or you're, you know, it, it's so peculiar. But when I was not walking with the Lord, I desperately wanted somebody to tell me about him. I was just waiting for someone to, to speak about God. I wasn't bold enough to say, hey, could you tell me about God? I don't even know if I knew any Christians at the time. But I remember just thinking about the big idea Before you get saved, you kind of think about the big idea, like, okay, this universe is pretty big. I look at my human body. I don't know how that can just be formed from an amoeba. Like, I I think of these things, and I think there has to be something bigger than this. There has to be something maybe supernatural. And I was dying for someone to tell me about them, and, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And it wasn't until a change event in my life that I was able to... I, I had some people in my life early on that like would bring me to church just randomly, like a friend that would pick me up and be and took me to church, and that was my introduction into Christianity. But I don't think I would have just walked into a church. So this is important. But he gives this new command that we would all love each other. We were carrying out the mission of God, and it's evidenced by our treatment with one or not, one another. And that's going to impact the world. So if we want the lost to experience God and hear the gospel, if we want his light to shine in the darkness, if we want unity in the church, if we want Christ to be magnified in our homes, in our workplaces, in in the church where we sit, in our neighborhoods, then we need to get this. We need to understand this. Because when I get impatient, my go-to is I can get really snappy right? We can do that. Like you're impatient on the phone with a salesperson and, and you know, you guys know, you know what I mean? Like you don't get what you want. It's taking too long. You know, we, we can get snippy because we just think we deserve more service than we're getting. You know, 
And so if we want this to work, we need to understand this. So they'll all know if we can get this particular thing right. If we can really embrace this and practice it. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road is we need to practice it. Spurgeon said this. He said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loves us. And he says, that is far more than we love ourselves. So we are supposed to put others before us. Unlike Jetty, he, he, we're supposed to put you before me. That I'm supposed to look out for your interest. God says in another verse, you know, especially in the household of God, that we're supposed to be loving one another. If you have your Bible, turn to John 21. In this passage, the disciples were going out and they were going out fishing all night. John 21, verse 1, he says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples in the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. So in this account, the disciples had gone fishing all night long. Now, they were professional fishermen. So for them to get skunked and not catch anything, you know they were coming in. They were stinky. They were smelly. They were tired. They were all these things. And they see Jesus on the shore as they were coming in. Now, this was after the resurrection. So this would be a, you know, they have just gone through probably some trauma because they were still trying to figure out what the heck did Jesus just do? Why did he leave us? Remember when they were talking about how he was going to be the king, he was going to take over, he was going to, you know, he was going to do all these things, and yet he left. So they had just experienced Jesus being arrested, Jesus being crucified, that's a lot for them to go through. It's a lot for them to figure out real time. We have, we have the Bible, so we know the story, but they're figuring this out real time. And they see Jesus on the shore. And you, you can imagine this is a lot for them to handle. It wasn't really how they thought this would all play out. And sometimes we're like that in life. It's like, this isn't how I thought this was all going to play out. But those two words that says he showed himself in verse 1, this is more than just he appeared. This is a manifestation. This is, this is like he made himself mani- manifested, visible, known what was being hidden. There was a purpose to his manifesting himself in this way. Anyone can appear without sort of full disclosure of themselves. But this was him showing Himself And listen to how he showed himself. It's a, it's a revelation of one true character. In verse 6, he says, And he said to them, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some fish. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because there was a multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan says of this passage, Manifestation himself as entering into their immediate experience, their immediate experience of failure, their immediate experience of being beaten, this new discontent that had not removed their restlessness, and there he revealed his power on that lower level of activity. If it were dead fish they were after, then he could help them there. God manifests himself. Even in that low level of activity, he manifested himself to these. Now, John recognizes the Lord, but not by sight, because they're saying Jesus was talking. They're like, is that Jesus? Like, who is that on the shore? They didn't. They recognized him by his actions. Look at it, because he says, that is the Lord. That, that 
That's the kind of one another that we're after. That they all knew that because he did this thing, that it was like, that's the Lord. Have you ever had that feeling? When someone loves you, when you don't deserve it, or when someone does something for you, when you don't deserve it, you go, that's the Lord. You've had times in your life when, you, when you've said that. You know, something happens and you go, that's the Lord. Over here, you know, you get, you get money just when you need it, and you're like, that's the Lord. It's got his fingerprints, and that's what this text is saying. Is like his fingerprints were on it. They just knew because of what he did for them, that he cared about them, that they brought in this big hole of fish, and he was cooking it up for them, and they're like, that's Jesus. That's what he does. So when we think through this, and we think about, I think through what is it that hinders us from this kind of love. So give me some things that hinder you from this kind of love. What hinders you the most? Lack of faith. Well, what else? Say it louder. Annoyance. Annoyance. <laughs> you mean like people are annoying? Yes. <laughs> There's an honest one in the bunch. <laughs> what else? Self-centeredness. Bingo. What else? Selfishness. Self-centeredness, selfishness. What about unforgiveness? That's a big one too, huh? Oh, I don't, I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't like when God dealt with me on that one. But it was good and it was fruitful. Now, selfishness, yes, this is difficult. Showing love to those who don't deserve it was what this, it's kind of the stuff of Jesus. But I believe unforgiveness is also a huge hindrance from loving one another. There was this uh, documentary I watched, and it was on, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's called The Free Burma Rangers. Anybody see this fantastic, you've seen it? Fantastic documentary about I mean you watch that thing and at the end you're like I don't even think I'm saved (laughs) this human being this wonderful man that goes to Burma and ministers to people you know you know what I'm talking about you see people that are saved they're off in Burma like in the jungle and you're like I I need to say the sinner's repentance prayer again um, so his name's David Eubanks. He grew up as a, um, a missionary kid in Thailand, but he didn't think he was like the missionary type. So he decided to go on to the army rangers and he was an army rangers for years. And then God called him out and he said, I want you to go to the jungles of Burma and I want you to do something there. He didn't even know what he was going to do. He was getting married and he just told his wife, like his fiance, like, if you come, like, this is my life. This is what I'm going to be doing. Like, you're going to live in Burma in the jungle. And she went. (laughs) Talk about God putting people together for ministry. She went. They had their kids. You're watching their kids, like, cross rivers, little blonde kids this big on horseback, just crossing the river, gunshots all around. It's really, really a dangerous environment for them to be in. Well, then he decides God's calling him to go into the hardest part of Iraq, that he's got some work. And what he does is he trains people to defend themselves. And so he does ranger training for these people in Burma. And now he was going to go do it in Iraq. And he went to Iraq, and there's one scene that is forever etched in my mind. He was behind a, a Humvee. 
And there was a scene where there was a big giant block wall and there was probably 30 people sitting on the wall and they were just getting picked off one at a time. And there was a little three-year-old girl sitting next to her mother who was deceased. And he, David just said he got this well within him of anger. And he knew the Lord wanted him to go save this little girl and get her out of harm's way. Because they weren't shooting the children, but everybody around her was dead. What was going to happen to her? And, but he knew, like, I could die. Like, I could easily die. So he said he waited, and he is a man of prayer. If you watch the documentary, he doesn't do anything until the Lord tells him to do it. That's a clue to us. He was behind this Humvee, and he heard the Lord say, go now. And he got cover. He went. He rescued this girl and and brought her home. One of the guys got shot in the leg. Some people that that he's been with uh, have been been incredibly injured, killed. Very, very dangerous. But as he came back, he said he was so angry that he wanted to go and get the people. He wanted them to pay for what they had done. And so he went home, and I'll read you an excerpt of what he says. He says, so that night I said, Lord Jesus, show me the truth of what happened today. He said, I opened up my Kindle. He goes, which I don't recommend, but I just did it this time, and I just went to a scripture, whatever came up. He said, I put my finger down, and it said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And he said, in that moment, the Lord spoke to me. He said, vengeance Oh, what I thought was justice was vengeance. And he said, vengeance looks a lot like justice, but it's driven by hate. And he said, it starts in the same place. And injustice has been done. What are you going to do about it? And he was faced with that question. And we're faced with that question, too. There's been an injustice done. What are you going to do about it? And he said, what... uh, He said, to get justice requires you to approach that unjust act with love for the perpetrator and the person who hurts you and the person that is hurt. So the perpetrator and the person that is hurt and mercy. There's a place for punishment too and enforcement, but it will be done in the spirit of love, which is very different. What's the best for both these people? He prayed. And he said, and I said, Jesus, forgive me. I, re- I reject vengeance. And he took it away from me. And it was a huge crushing weight off of me. But I could not feel it until he lifted it. When we can act in this way, it brings glory to God. And people know that it's not you. They say, that is Jesus. Because there's no denying that if someone acts like that, that you know it's the Lord. You know that it's the Lord. And so he just, um, I want to read this scripture in Romans 12. These are the verses that he read. Starting in 19, he said, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture said, I will, I take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will reap coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. David thought he was looking for justice, but the Lord showed him that he was looking for vengeance. 
Man, justice, think about it, the heart of love, vengeance, the heart of hatred. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord gave you, so you must, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I remember there was a time early in my marriage where I was really mad at my husband. He had been smoking behind my back and it really infuriated me. And he got caught and then he repented and he confessed and we were moving along and I just became more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And finally I was in a room like this with a, a teacher teaching and he had a word of knowledge and he said, someone's in here and, and you're so bitter and you think it's because of someone else's sin, but they've repented and now it's your sin. And that cut me to the heart. This is my sin now. He's the one that, that caused the injustice, but I was after vengeance. I wanted him to pay. It's like, why don't you just go to sleep? <laughs> you know, I wanted him to pay, but God wanted to do a work in my heart, and he gave me by the mercy and grace that I did not deserve. He gave me this verse in 2 Corinthians 2.5. He says, I'm not overstating it when I saw that the man who um, caused all of this trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that punishment was enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now, reaffirm your love for him. This verse haunted me because I knew it was time, Brenda. It is time to lay that down and reaffirm your love. Anybody, you've been so discouraged, you're like, I might tap out. I'm just so discouraged. But for someone to come along and say, you know what? I forgive you. I'm going to let that go. That's the harder thing to do. But I know I've been comforted when I've been so discouraged and someone came along and picked me up with love that I didn't deserve. So the Lord finally told me, like, you need to deal with this. You need to affirm your love. And when I did that, the bitterness lifted. I was no longer bitter And I was just staying in that. And I thought, man, without the Lord, I could have stayed there my whole entire miserable marriage. And now I've been married 37 years, and I'm happy. And that trust was rebuilt early in our marriage, and we were able to stay married because of the Lord, because of the verses that he gave. I'll close with this. He said, "Um, I just want to resolve like two things. First, that we should treat one another in the family of God like Jesus. Now, Ephesians 4 talks about speaking the truth in love, and sometimes love has to say hard things. It's not that when we're loving, we're just like, you know, Mary Poppins, and we're kind all the time, and, you know, a spoonful of sugar is going to make it all be fine. It's not like that. There's sometimes when we have to have hard conversations, but how do I have those hard conversations? Is my motivation love? Is my motivation to, to bind together? Is my motivation that someone would grow in the Lord? So we have to have the truth in our conversations. Proverbs talks about that, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But Warren Wiersbe says this, Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. I would even make it easier than that. Truth without love wounds, and love without truth lies. You can't just love people without the truth because it would sometimes it's a lie. But we can't just give truth without the love because that wounds people, learning how to balance that. And second, 
that we need to love the lost and be bold in sharing our faith. There's a, how many of you old enough to remember DC Talk? Oh my gosh, my people are here. <laughs> so DC Talk had this, um, this song called What If I Stumble? And there is a, a phrase in there that has really just stayed with me for a long time. Said, and it's, from a, it's a quote from somebody, but he says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the, the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an, unbelie- an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We have an obligation as Christ followers to love one another. We have an obligation to love the lost and to love Christ. Christ loved Judas. Christ loved the unlovely. He took people in like Debbie started with. You know, we are welcome. We are welcome in his kingdom. And we are to portray and proclaim Christ in us. So let's pray for that tonight. Father, thank you. For your word as it penetrates our hearts. And I pray that it goes out in power and might. Lord, that as you've been speaking to each one of us individually, that you would do that work. That you would do that work first in us, Lord. That you would establish our beliefs so that our actions could um, just proceed that. And while I'm praying, I know that there's some that, Lord, they have a person in mind. And Lord, I just pray that you would instruct right now, that your Holy Spirit would instruct, Lord, what do I do? What is it that you want me to do in this situation? And Lord, allow me to have the boldness and the level of obedience to do that which you've called me to do. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, We believe, but help our unbelief. Help us to be able to walk uh, worthy of the calling that you've called us with, that you've loved us so much, Lord, that we can do this because we know it's you. We want people to look at our lives and say, that is the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we have a relationship with you. We thank you that you've accepted us. We thank you, Lord that you're here with us now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. It's a pleasure to be with you.